We should be in Proverbs chapter 21. As Father, we come tonight and we desire to hear from you. Uh, We desire to um, gain in wisdom. And so, Lord, bless this Bible study. Uh, May we be attentive. Because I know Wednesdays can be kind of long and day and we come and, and perhaps a little fatigued and tired. So, Lord, energize us in our soul and in our spirit to hear your word. And, Lord, I pray that nothing gets taken away from what you want to do tonight. And I thank you for the kids that are here and those who are ministering at December to Remember and, and, uh, and the kids upstairs. It's so wonderful to see uh, how they give life and uh, how their youth just... Uh, energizes us and this church. And so I'm thankful for all who have come uh, here tonight. Um, I thank you for this church family. We have so much to be grateful for at Christmas. The giving of your son who came to this world to give us hope. And even in the times where we're down and discouraged and where we're anxious, that Lord help us keep our eyes on you. And to know that you care for us, and Lord, that we can come to you, and that you desire to work in our lives. Father, I pray that tonight, especially a week or so before Christmas, it can get really stressful. Kids trying to finish school, programs, projects that need to be done, planning that needs to be done, maybe perhaps uh, getting ready to go out of town, uh, maybe relatives coming in, baking, shopping, cards getting out, all those things. So I pray that right now, while we have a few minutes, that we would give our attention to you. And Lord, speak to our hearts as we go through your word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 17, we read, He who loves pleasure will be a poor man, and he who loves wine and oil will not be rich. And of course, we talked about this on Sunday as Jesus turned to his disciples and he turned to the crowds and he said, beware of covetousness. And there are a few things that Jesus said to beware of. One was the hypocrisy of, of course, the, the Pharisees, which, um, you know, he, he would indict them because they were ones that externally they were trying to be righteous and seen as so righteous, but internally they weren't right with God. They didn't care about the people. But then he would say, beware of covetousness, that one's life doesn't consist of, of the things that, and possessions that he or she has. So we talked quite extensively about that. And he told that parable, the rich fool that uh, had plentiful harvest. And he said, I will tear down my barns and I will build bigger barns and I will take my rest. And as we discussed quite extensively on Sunday, that the problem wasn't that he was blessed in the harvest. The problem wasn't that he built bigger barns. The problem was he wasn't rich towards God. And he was one that said, I will take my ease. I will build bigger barns. I will store up the grain for myself. And so we discuss how important it is for you and for I that we are to be rich towards God, to invest in the kingdom of God. And the Lord desires for us to understand this. And I hope we're we're getting this as we continue to talk about it, that the one who's truly is rich is the one who loves the Lord and the one who's desiring to live for the Lord and to please the Lord with their life, and the one who has that closeness and intimacy with the Lord, and to understand that the things of this world 
are going to go away. And the Lord does bless. In that parable, the rich fool wasn't telling us that having things, that that's wrong. It wasn't telling us that leaving inheritance for somebody is wrong. Matter of fact, we just saw in Proverbs that it tells us that a good man will leave an inheritance to his children's children. But what the Lord desires for us, because we were made for eternity, not for time, and to have fellowship with the true and the living God, to find all the fullness in our hearts that comes with knowing him and the satisfaction and fulfillment and great joy that the world cannot give to us. You see, everything in this world is going to go away. But to be rich towards God as we just look to him and give him the first fruits of our lives as we invest in the kingdom of God. And so here Proverbs reiterates that, that the one who loves pleasure will be a poor man, and the one who loves wine and oil, it's talking about luxury items, uh, will not be rich truly. And whether you have a lot or whether you have little, the one who's truly rich is the one who loves the Lord. And of course, we discuss how Paul was writing to Timothy and saying, Timothy is the desire, the one who desires to be rich, the love of money. That's what is going to bring all kinds of snares of the enemy and corruption and carnality into your life. So we keep our focus on the Lord. We're going to talk about what it means this Sunday that where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. And if your treasure is in the things of the world, guess what? That's where your heart's going to be. But if your treasure is the Lord, you know, it's interesting that Jesus said that the kingdom of God is like one who was uh, found a field with a treasure in it, and he gave all that he had to buy the field so he can take the treasure. And the treasure is you and me. And what is so incredible is the Lord sees us, as Ephesians chapter 1 tells us, as his inheritance. We are a treasure to him. So my treasure, oh, is you, Lord, because you've given me an eternal inheritance. You've saved me, and your promises are true. You've given me of your Holy Spirit. You've given me your word, and you've given me so much. So that needs to be our treasure, and where our treasure is, that's where our heart is going to follow. So here, it isn't the things that we have that make us rich. It's, it's who we believe in and follow after, that is Jesus Christ. In verse 18, the wicked shall be a ransom for the righteous and the unfaithful for the upright. And so God will deal with the unrighteous and a time will come when the righteous um, will no longer suffer at their hands and Jesus is going to make things right. And that's why one of the reasons why I do a prophecy update, uh, one of the things that encourages me knowing that Jesus is going to come and establish his kingdom here on this earth. That one day, righteousness, as Isaiah says, is going to cover the earth as waters cover the sea. And I don't know about you, but I can't wait for that day. When I look at the world, how mixed up and messed up and how, you know, there's so much darkness and it's getting darker and there's evil and it's getting more evil. And um, as I look at it, I think, Maranatha, Lord, please come quickly. Come quickly, Lord, to set things right. And one day he's going to. But in the meantime, we're to be waiting for him. In the meantime, as we'll talk about, we're to be watching for him. And in the meantime, we're to be the faithful servant that continues to serve him 
faithfully day by day. And as we do, we're going to be light and we're going to be a blessing to others in this world as they uh, are seeing and watching us and as we deliver the good news of the gospel to them. In verse 19, better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and angry woman. And this is from, you know, similar to verse 9. Um, and it's not just talking about a contentious woman, but anyone who's contentious, whether it's in the family or whether it's in the workplace or whether it's in a church family. And as Christians, we're going to see that Solomon's going to talk more about being contentious and and uh, being a scoffer. It's all linked together. And we're not to be ones that, you know, are contentious or desiring to be, bringing strife, you know, wanting to argue, wanting to, to you know, uh, always, um, you know, put people down or be negative or things like that. So not to be contentious. That's not what our character is to be as a Christian. And then in verse 20, there is desirable treasure in oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man squanders it. And so in verse 20, the wise will plan and be prudent in planning his days and the fool will spend it all. And I think that the scripture is very clear as it teaches us that the things that the Lord has given to us, that we're to be good stewards of it. And I love the word of God because it teaches us how we can be prudent, how we can plan, how it is that we can be careful as we journey through life. And, and I need God's wisdom because the world comes along and tells us to go in a different direction than what the word of God tells us to. And so we want to make sure that we are doing wisely in how God wants us to live and be prudent and plan uh, as we plan out our days. And we know, you know, the scripture has told us in Proverbs that we can make the plans, but God directs the steps. But he honors the one as we search him and as we seek him. Lord, what about this? You know, uh, what about, um, you know, this direction I'm going, this desire, this thing I want to be involved in? This is the plan, and he will guide and direct you in every way as we turn to him, as we look to him, as we're sensitive to his leading. And there's nothing wrong with planning. I think it's good to plan. But the one who is presumptuous, the one who's a fool, is going to end up spinning it all and, and being unwise as they squander what it is that God has given to them. In verse 21, and he who follows righteousness and mercy finds life, righteousness, and honor. So the word of God tells us how we can live righteously and we will be blessed. And you're going to experience life the way it was meant to be experienced. Always keep in mind that Jesus said, I came to give you life. He came to give us eternal life. And I came to give you life abundantly. And what does that mean that he wants to give us life? He came to give us life abundantly means that he desires to give you the wisdom and the joy and the peace and the comfort and the strength that you need as you do journey through life. And I don't think there's a single person here that is thinking, well, I don't want the Lord's joy. I don't, I don't want his wisdom. I don't want his strength. I don't want his comfort. Of course we do. And it comes by as we know the word of God. I am so thankful for the word of God. And I know that you are as well. Because I know the word of God guides me in every area of my life and gives me the answers. And I know that God's word is true. And I, I can live rightly. It doesn't mean that we live perfect lives. But as I do live for him, and as I live according to his word, I know that there's going to be benefit. There's going to be strength. There's going to be security and safety. And there's going to be blessing that comes with that. 
And then in verse 22, a wise man scales the city of the mighty and brings down the trusted stronghold. So victory isn't just obtained by strength, but by wisdom. And you see, our weapons are not carnal, but spiritual, as Paul would write to the Corinthian church in his second letter in chapter 10, verse 4. But remember this, that it is the Lord, as we live according to his word, living righteously, being directed by him, there's safety and security, as I've already said, but there's, you know, strength in that. And and you will see that as you live according to the way that God wants you to. And and so, you know, the strongholds uh, of the enemy and deception and darkness and all that gets torn down as we live after the life, as we live for him, as we walk in wisdom. And it is strength as we do that. And it is, you know, remember Zechariah that uh, we're told that it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. I need God's word. I need God's word to direct me and guide me, not the world's way, not the world's philosophy. That changes all the time, and it's very foolish. But strength comes by wisdom. And then in verse 23, whoever guards his mouth and tongue keeps his soul from trouble. And we have talked about that already as we've been going through Proverbs. The tongue can get you into a lot of trouble. James talks about that the tongue is like a fire that burns. It it's, does a lot of destruction. And so we need to learn to guard our mouths. We need to learn to guard what it is that we say, to speak wisely, to think first, to have a soft answer that will turn away wrath. Proverbs has been talking a whole lot about how we speak and what we speak and to guard our mouths and our tongues. I've already mentioned this, but I want to mention it again. But sometimes I will run into people that will say, well, I just say what's on my mind. That's not biblical. If I said what was on my mind, you know, then I would get myself in a whole lot of trouble. But we need to be wise in what we say and to be seasoned with salt and with grace, as Jesus would tell us, our speech. And we're not to speak any corrupt words, but what is necessary for edification, that it may bring grace to the hearers. It's very important what we say is going to bring correction. Yes, it's going to bring uh, reproof. It's going to bring truth to others and encouragement and edification and exhortation to them. That's what we're to be about. And I want to be one that I want to be encouraging to others. I want to bring truth to them. I want to guard my mouth and what I say. I don't have to say everything that comes to my mind. But as we do, it's going to keep us out of a lot of trouble, whether it's at work or whether it's with relationship with others or as we serve the Lord and desire to please the Lord. Sometimes people get themselves into a lot of trouble because they just speak without thinking, without really, you know, you know, uh, praying about, you know, things, what they're going to say. But we need to be wise and continue to know that God has a whole lot to say about, you know, the words that we speak and guarding our mouths. And, and to really consider that, be discerning about it, and, uh, and pray that, Lord, help me be wise in the words that I say. I've had, I've, I've told you this before, I've had couples in my office that one of them would say, but you said this as they're having difficulties in their marriage. And I remember one time, I'll never forget this, this was years ago, that the other turned to their spouse and said, but I said that years ago. So we have the saying, remember as we grew up as kids, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt. It's not true. 
because words hurt and they hurt very deeply and they cut deeply. And so we need to keep that in mind and we need to guard our mouths and keep our soul from trouble. In verse 24, a proud and haughty man's uh, scoffer is his name. He acts with arrogant pride. Verse 24 here, name reflects who he is and his character. Again, we're not to be a scoffer. We're not to be proud and haughty and arrogant. Uh, we've learned a lot about in Proverbs. Uh, nothing good is said about having a haughty spirit, being full of uh, pride, being you know arrogant. We as Christians are to be humbled before the Lord. And we are to be humble before others. And we are to, you know, not be ones that are proud because you see our character is to be that we are to be pleasant and gentle and and kind to others is the way that the Lord uh, desires for us to live. And the desire, verse 25, the lazy man kills him and his hand refused to labor. He covets greedily all day long, but the righteous gives and does not spare. So the lazy person can want so many things, but they can't obtain it because, you know, he or she refuses to work for it. And again, as we're going to talk on Sunday about don't worry, the Lord knows what your needs are. Look at the ravens, he says. He would say something similar up in the Galilee uh, on the Sermon on the Mount. He said, look at the the, uh, sparrows, how God provides for them. But the sparrows, you know, and the birds, as they're provided for, as Jesus says, they're flying around, they're getting food. They're not just in a tree with their mouth open waiting for God to drop a worm in their mouth. So there is, you know, being diligent and being a workman, as we talk about spiritually, that needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. If we want to grow spiritually, don't be lazy. If we want to grow in God's word and and attain that and continue to grow in wisdom, we don't want to be lazy in that, but also practically in life as well. You know that, that Proverbs has had a whole lot to say about laziness. And so here we're being reminded again that the desire of the lazy man, you know, um, they refuse to, to, to labor. They covet all day long, um, but they're not going to attain it because they refuse to work for it. But the righteous gives and does not spare In verse 27, the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination. How much more when he brings it with wicked intent? And so verse 27, a wicked person with wicked motives and intention, God rejects, of course. In verse 28, a false witness shall perish, but the man who hears him will speak endlessly. So a false witness will claim to tell the truth, but... You know, that's just another lie. And we need to listen carefully and be honest with our words and have discernment as well as what others are saying. In verse 29, a wicked man hardens his face, but as for the upright, he establishes his way. So, you know, a wicked person, a prideful person will harden their hearts. They're unteachable. They refuse to be directed by God. And as we learn God's word, as we apply it in our lives, we will be established. Again, to remind you, that I made reference to this a couple weeks ago, that it was Ahaz there in Isaiah chapter 7, as it was Isaiah the prophet that came to him and said, Ahaz, listen, this attack against you from Syria and from Israel, the 10 northern tribes, 
It's not going to happen. It's not going to take place. And if you don't believe the word of the Lord, you will not be established. And Ahaz, who was the king of Judah, was not established in this life because he did not believe the word of the Lord. He's running around trying to figure things out in his own, trying to make a plan on his own. And here is Isaiah saying, ask for a sign. Ask for it anywhere. Ask it in the heavens, on the earth, under the earth. Ask for a sign. Oh, I'm not going to test the Lord. And he didn't say that because, you know, he's trying to be spiritual, but he wasn't right with the Lord. And so Isaiah says that the Lord is going to give you a sign. That a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And his name shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. And the reason that we can be established is because God is with us. And his word is given to us. And his promises are for us. And as we believe the word of the Lord, that your presence, Lord, that God is with us, that your word is true, you're going to be established in life. It's like Paul the apostle when he was in Corinth, that the Lord came to him and said, Paul, don't be afraid. Paul was afraid when he was in Corinth because it was a rough missionary journey. He got beaten in Philippi. He got run out of, you know, Thessalonica. He was, you know, mocked in Athens. He came to Corinth and he says, when I first came to you, you know how I was weak and much trembling. And I didn't come with, you know, the wisdom of man, but I came in the power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit. He was saying, I was one beat up missionary when I came. And all of a sudden the church explodes. And all of a sudden he's afraid because he's thinking, you know what? With God working, I'm going to take another beating. And the Lord comes to him and says, Paul, you don't have to be afraid. But I have many people in this city, Corinth, and I am with you and no one's going to hurt you. So there was the promise of God's presence. God is with you and the promise of his protection. And it says that Paul was established in that city for a year and a half. He continued to minister, which a year and a half was a long time for Paul to stay in one city. Only one other city did he stay longer, and that was Ephesus on his third missionary journey. Listen, if you're not going to believe the word of the Lord and the promises of the Lord, you won't be established. But you're going to be tossed to and fro. You're going to be stressed out. You're going to be wondering. You're going to be wrestling all the time. And I get that we can go through that at times. We wonder, Lord, how's your work going to, you know, word and your promises going to work in my situation? How, how are you going to, you know, apply this in my life? And, and we wait on the Lord and we trust him. But as we do, we will be established. And Paul was able to continue ministering and doing what God had called him to do because he believed in the presence of the Lord and the word of the Lord given to him. Emmanuel, God is with us and his word is true. So I want to encourage you that as you continue to grow in the word of God and draw close to him, knowing that God is with you and and his promises are for you, you will be established in this life and you'll be established in the new year that is coming up. And so verse 30, that there is no wisdom or understanding or counsel against the Lord. You know, the scripture asks, who's God's counselor? There are times where people say, well, I think this, or this is my opinion. Well, what does God say? Because God is always right. God is always right. And the word of God given to us is his final authority. 
You see, people come to me, and I'm sure they come to you at times, and they'll say, well, I think this, or this is my opinion about God, or this, this situation. But we always give them God's word and God's counsel. He's the wonderful counselor, isn't he? And his word is true. So you want to make sure that you're giving that counsel to others and that, that you're pointing them to the word of God and to the words of our Lord and to the truth is what's declared to us here in the pages of this Bible. So make sure that, you know, a lot of times people come along and they think they're God's counselor. Well, if I was God, I will do this. Well, this is what I think about the Lord. It doesn't really matter what you think. So we can gently bring them back to the truth and say that God's word stands and God's word is true for us today. Not our opinions, not our thoughts, not world's philosophy or somebody's ideas and opinions and all of this. But as God's word is what we give to others. And then verse 31, the horse is prepared for the day of battle, but deliverance is of the Lord. It reminds me so much of Joshua when he came in with the children of Israel into the promised land. And here they are doing battle against all the Canaanite kings. And it says that they were greatly outnumbered, that those kings, those, those Canaanite tribes had all these chariots and horses. And the children of Israel didn't have anything like that. That was like, here they are facing a chariot back in that day with a horse. It's like facing a tank. And yet Joshua was told that I'm going to give you victory. I'm going to give you this land everywhere that you stand. You're going to possess that. And I've given you this land. And they had victory. And what did Joshua do? It says that he burned the chariots and he hamstrung the horses. In other words, he made it to where those horses couldn't be used in battle. And in a very practical sense, you might be thinking, man, they could have used those chariots and those horses to be even stronger. But Joshua knew something that that was that they were going to trust in the Lord, that they were going to trust in the Lord, that he was going to work. And David, he would write in the Psalms that some trust in horses and some in chariots, but we will call on the name of the Lord. And that's my prayer for our nation that as we are a nation, that we wonder what's going to happen with the new leadership coming in, that it would be a leadership that would turn to the Lord. We need to pray for our president that's going to be sworn in next month and new Congress and Senate and our leaders here in the state. We need to pray for them. We need to pray as a nation that we would turn to the Lord because there's going to be battles out there and, and it's a dangerous world out there, but also for your own life. It's a battleground out there for you and for me. It's not a playground. And we need to trust in the name of the Lord and know that he's going to prepare you. And the way that you get prepared is keep coming and learning the word of God. You keep in prayer. You keep trusting in him. You keep looking to him. And he's going to give you the strength and the ability to have that victory in the battles that you and I fight. It's not a playground out there as a Christian. It's a battleground. And the world is getting darker and it's getting more evil. And I think the battle is going to continue on. It's going to get worse as we get closer to the return of the Lord. And I don't say that to put undue burden on you, but we need to understand the days in which we're living in, that the world's becoming more hostile towards God and even in our own culture and in our own nation, becoming more hostile towards Christians. And we need to understand this, that the horse is prepared for the day of battle, but deliverance is of the Lord. He's already delivered us from our sins, and we have victory in Jesus Christ. But it is a battle that is out there, and he desires to prepare you for each and every day for what he has for you. 
You know, Moses, I think of Moses' ministry, 40 years out there in the wilderness, two and a half million people griping and complaining and murmuring and grumbling, wanting to stone him, wanting to go back to Egypt. It would seem like battle after battle after battle. He never got a break. And all of a sudden, the Lord comes to him and says, Moses, it's at the end of Moses' life. I got one more battle for you. You're going to go up against the Midianites, and I'm going to then take you home to be with your brethren. In other words, you're going to die, and you're going to go home. And it shows me something that in this life, you know, I don't know about you, but it seems like a battle comes up or a challenge or difficulty. And it isn't long before the next one comes along. And maybe you feel that way. Maybe you feel like it's one continuous battle. And it will be till the Lord takes us home. But he's going to give you the strength and he's going to prepare you for whatever comes your way. And his purpose is for you to know him more. Because it's in those trials that we grow in endurance and in patience and also as we grow in trusting him. That there's a work that God desires for us to do to discover his great mercies and that his word is true. So those trials, those battles that we face isn't to do us in, but it's to make us better. It's to draw us closer to him. It's to help us to grow in faith, to bring us to perfection, as James would say. That doesn't mean we're perfect, but to maturity. So remember this, that you have victory in Christ Jesus. And there's a spiritual war that's out there, as Ephesians chapter 6 says, that we're to put on the whole armor of God. And the Lord is going to prepare you and help you in the battle that you find yourself in. Well, let's go to chapter 22. Chapter 22, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, loving favor rather than silver and gold. And of course, Character, godly character and integrity is what is important. If you measure life just by riches, you know, you're going to be disappointed. If you're desiring to just make a name for yourself, uh, you know, after the world, the world's going to go away. A good name is to be chosen. God's desire is that we live in, in a way that people see the godly character and integrity that is in you, that is in me. And, you know, in 25 years of ministry, I've done a lot of funerals. And what is talked about is, you know, that mom, that dad, that grandparent, that uncle, that aunt, that, that daughter, that son, whoever it might be. That as they were ones that walked with the Lord and loved the Lord and passed that godly inheritance, those sort of things that are talked about. And those are the things that are remembered. So a good name, and here the reference is, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. That you're saying, Lord, I want to have a good name among those who are linked to me in my life. That I am a man or woman of godly integrity and character. To be a blessing to them. And that's what people is going to remember. They're not going to remember all the toys and trinkets and everything else that we had. Yeah, those accomplishments, of course. Those things are going to be remembered in a way. But what's really going to be cherished and treasured by others is as you live for the Lord and we're a blessing to them. What I mean by that, if the Lord was to take me home, more than, oh, Pastor Jeff, 
you know, was a decent teacher or he had this church or how many people came or how many people listened on the radio. More than anything, I want my wife to be able to say that my husband loved us. He loved me. And he was a man of integrity and character. Not that a man that was perfect, because none of us are. But he desired to to lead our family in that way. I want my kids to say, you know, Dad, he loved us, and it showed in the way that he lived his life. And I want you as a congregation to be able to say, that, you know, Pastor Jeff, he loved us and he was faithful in teaching the word of God. And again, that's my desire and that's what I pray for. And I know that's what your desire is as well. To have a good name in that way of, of the things of the Lord and the way that you lived your life after the Lord and being a blessing to others. And then the rich and the poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. Verse 2 here. Um, you know, it... it, it you know, tells us and reminds us that God is the creator of all men. Both are important to him. You know, Amos, I was reading Amos and the prophet Amos in the Old Testament said, prepare to meet your maker. Everyone who lives is going to meet their maker, right? For the unbeliever, it's going to be at the great white throne judgment that is going to take place. When the unrighteous dead are resurrected, it's called the second resurrection there in Revelation chapter 20. And there they will stand before the great white throne judgment, be judged for their works. You don't want to be judged for your works in that, that they did not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, the scripture says that all of our works are as filthy rags before the Lord. And they will be centered, uh, sentenced to outer darkness into the lake of fire for all eternity. You and I, we're going to meet our maker, aren't we? And we are told in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that we're going to stand at the Bema reward seat of Jesus Christ. And we're going to be rewarded at that time for works, not for salvation. Because as I said, we can't work for our salvation. We can't earn our salvation. It's by faith in Jesus Christ alone. But with that said, the scripture, the New Testament talks a whole lot about rewards and crowns that are given for what we've done in the body, whether good or bad. And our motivation is going to be, you know, tried like fire, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and it's likened to gold, silver, and precious metal, or wood, hay, and stubble. A lot of Christians don't understand that. Again, we're not talking about salvation, but there's rewards that the Lord's going to give to us. There's crowns that are spoken of. And the Bema reward seat of Christ, the Corinthians knew what that meant. That's where, you know, those of the ancient games and Olympic games would stand at the Bema reward seat to receive rewards. But what I pray for us, that as we stand before the Lord, he's not going to ask us how rich you were, how poor you were, how big was your church. Were you faithful in what God has given you and what he's entrusted to you? And those rewards, you know, he rewards the one that gives a glass of water to a child in love in Jesus' name. The one who ministers because they care about people, they care about, you know, the furtherance of the kingdom of God because they want to give the gospel. They love the Lord. It wasn't to make a name for themselves or take advantage of people or to exalt over other people or to be rich, you know, that's my primary desire 
but Lord, I want to further the kingdom of God. I love you, and I want to please you with my life. And all that's going to be sorted out. So he's the maker of all, to rich and the poor, and we will stand before him, and, and um, the Lord is the maker of them all. And the prudent man foresees evil and hides himself, verse 3, and the simple pass on and are punished. As we were told, a wise person will count the cost of his action before he goes down a path or goes a certain direction. A, a fool won't do that. A fool's impulsive. So again, nothing wrong with planning, thinking. You, you know, there is times where we need to step out in faith. But a wise person is going to say, hey, I don't want to go down that road because there's traps. There's a snare. The enemy sets snares for us and traps and temptations. I don't want to go there. I want to be wise. I don't want to go down. Any of us wouldn't go down a dark alley at night at midnight, would we? When we don't know what's in that dark alley. But the one who's impulsive, that's a fool, doesn't really think about that. And so we want to be wise and discerning as we're making plans and as uh, we uh, go a certain direction, getting wisdom from the Lord in direction by his word. In verse 4, by humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor in life. Those who humble themselves and fear the Lord will have heavenly riches and God will honor that. And you will experience again that abundant life. And then in verse 5, thorns and snares are in the way of the perverse. He who guards his soul will be far from them. You know, a wise person, and we know this to be true, will avoid the snares of the world and the thorns you know, and the hardships. The children of Israel, they were told before they went into the promised land, listen, don't get involved with the Canaanite gods. If you can get involved with the Canaanite gods, they're going to be a sword to your eye and what? A thorn to your side. And what did they do? They got involved with the Canaanite gods. They disobeyed God. They were disobedient. And it ended up bringing all kinds of problems and plagues upon them because of that. I hope that we're understanding that the Lord says stay away from carnality and sin and the things of the world because it's going to be a thorn to you. It isn't that God, and listen, parents, we really need to teach this to our children, that the way of transgressor is hard. And if you want to live a hard life, then live after the world and go after carnality and sin. There may be pleasure for a season, but the end of its way is going to bring sorrow. And we're going to see that even as we continue in this chapter. But we are to be wise in knowing that the Lord desires for us to have that abundant life, to be blessed, to have that safety and security and wisdom as we follow after him. God is not a killjoy trying to ruin our lives. But he's a loving father that says, I want to bless you. This is the way to live. And stay away from those things that are going to bring harm to you, carnality and sin. And we see that illustrated all throughout the scriptures, don't we? We see that given to us from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21. And so may we take heed and say, Lord, that I'm thankful that I have your word given to me so I can avoid those pitfalls. And it isn't legalism. It's real wisdom. And, and to be able to, to, you know, stay away from the thorns and snares uh, that can get us if we continue in a way uh, that is contrary to 
what God says that we are to do. In verse 6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Isn't that a verse that a lot of us as parents know? But I want to remind you of something. that It says train up a child in the way he should go or she should go. Part of training is not just teaching, but it's showing them, right? You got to remember that. We can tell them, but we need to train them. It's like any of you that are trained for a job. You have somebody who's going to tell you how to do that job, but also they're going to show you as well. So that means, parents, that as we are training our children in the ways of the Lord, that's a command. Just as the New Testament tells us that we're to to raise our children in the admonition of the Lord. That is your primary responsibility to your children. It is not the youth pastor. It's not the children's ministry, you know, um, teachers. It's not, you know, the pastor. We take very seriously in coming along and ministering to your children the truth of God's word and loving them and encouraging them and encouraging you as parents. But as parents, that's your primary responsibility. And I understand, too, that there are kids that are coming, that they're coming with, you know, perhaps a a relative or they're coming with friends that their parents aren't, you know, Christians. So we're very aware of that. But what I want to relate to you as parents is that is your responsibility is train your children in the ways of the Lord, to, to train them in the admonition of the Lord. And discipline is a part of that. And we need to take that very seriously, especially in the day in which we are living in. Because if you are not training them in the ways of the Lord, guess who's going to? The world is. And there is so much access to the world by a push of a finger, a button on their phones and computers and everything else that is out there. So we want to pay attention and we want to not only teach them, but we want to show them, which means that it's important for you as parents and grandparents that you're that example to your children. And I think we all know that. We cannot be telling them to do one thing and then live in another way. It's a mixed message for them. And they will grow up and they will see it that it's a mixed message and it will be a joke to them. Because I've had many of young people say, yeah, my parents say, I can't do this, I can't do that. But they go out and they do it. They're watching the raunchy shows. They're drinking at home. They're going out partying. They're doing these things. So it's really important for us as, as parents. And I know there's different situations. You might have a spouse that, that isn't godly, isn't interested in things of the Lord. But as much as you can, parents, It's important that you train your children in the ways of the Lord. Spend time with them. Invest in them. Talk with them. Share with them the scriptures, the things of the Lord. And make sure that you're doing that constantly, daily, paying attention to to what they're doing. And there's challenges. I know. I've raised four kids myself. And I always will be dad to them. And I'll always be sharing with them. But... You need to train them in the ways of the Lord and to be praying for them and praying with them. And I want to encourage you in that. Don't take it lightly. Don't be passive about it. Don't think, well, I hope they do okay. You better do more than hope. You better invest in them. Because if you don't, then the world's going to get at them very quickly. 
and it's going to be pulled into the world. And so we need to make sure that, Lord, help me to teach them, but help me to train them as well, to be responsible, to be respectful, to teach them, to, to show them that when you're disobedient, that it's going to bring hurt to you. That, that if you're disrespectful, you know, sometimes in a household that the children run the house and, and they do what they want. And we're not called to do that. We're called to parent them, not just be their buddies, but to really invest in them. And it's not easy. It isn't easy. I know that to be true. But you be in prayer. Keep growing in the scriptures. Keep learning the things of the Lord. And you spend time with your kids. And know that's a responsibility. It's a command that's given to us as moms and dads. To train up a child in a way that he should go. And when he's old, he will not depart from it. That's a promise that's given to us. When he's old, and I understand that there are some that bring me this verse and say, I did the best I can in training them in the ways of the Lord. And, and they're not walking with the Lord. And we're going to pray with you. And we're going to pray for your children. And we're going to help you and encourage you in that way. And it's heartbreaking. Because there is a lot of pulls on our kids. But as much as you can, from the youngest they are, train them up in the ways of the Lord. Talk with them. Invest in them. None of us are perfect parents. None of us are. I tell my kids, you know, it's not easy on this side, (laughs) is it, being a parent? And I know that there are times where I wish I had a (laughs) do-over. But I do know this, that the Lord desires to help us and that we need to be engaged in praying for them and giving them the word of God and encouraging them and helping them to grow up to be men and women, young men and women that know about the Lord, love the Lord, that they know the ways of the Lord. And then there's going to be a time where they've got to make their faith their own. So I want to encourage you, and I think it's a good time for us to just stop here and just pray about that and pray for you as, Father, we come. And, and Lord, um, raising a family these days isn't easy. And, Lord, it can be very challenging and difficult. And, Lord, there's so many temptations out there for our children. And so what I want to pray, first of all, is that, Lord, help us as parents, as grandparents. Help us to raise our children in the admonition and instruction and discipline of the Lord. Help us, Lord. That, Lord, that we would invest in them and spend time with them. It's more than, yeah, it's, it's a good thing to bring them to church. We want to be consistent in doing that. But, Lord, also family devotions and praying with them and sharing scripture with them and seeing in our lives mom and dads and grandparents, maybe it's uncles and aunts that love the Lord and the blessing that comes with it. So Lord, help us. I pray for our children. I pray that they would just, these kids that are here, that are excited to be here, that they continue to be excited about the things of the Lord. But I also know that the enemy is lurking. He's trying to pull our kids away from you and the things of the Lord and into the world in false hope. So, Lord, I pray for their protection. I pray for, Lord, um, 
that you put a covering over them. And Father, help us as parents, grandparents for wisdom. And I pray for those who are brokenhearted. I pray for your peace that we continue to pray and look to you. And those who perhaps grew up knowing scripture, that that word of God that has been planted in their hearts will will begin to blossom, to somehow get watered, take root there, and they'll be returning to you. Father, I just pray, help us to live in wisdom, to be established in your word. Pray for all of us here tonight that you'd help us this Christmas season to be a light to our family and friends and co-workers that were around. And Lord, as we enter into a new year, to be established in you and in your word and promises. Father, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for the giving of your son who came and died on the cross for our sins and rose again and that we are not going to be judged for our sins because Jesus took the judgment for us on that cross. As we come in faith to receive forgiveness, as we surrender our lives to him, to Jesus Christ, the Lord of all, the King of all kings, who conquered sin and death, And I pray if there's anyone here tonight that you've never made that decision that is the most important decision you will ever make in your life to surrender to Jesus and come to Jesus in faith for forgiveness and for salvation. That you can come to him right where you are. He loves you. He died for you for all of your sins. And you call out to him. And whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, is what the scripture says. And you can pray, Jesus, I come to you right now. And I ask that you forgive me of my sins and that I believe that you died for me and that you rose again in your life. And I ask that you sit upon the throne of my life as Lord and Savior. And I thank you for bringing me here. I thank you for your word and for the gospel and giving me hope and forgiveness. Help me to know you. And Lord, this Christmas season, as we finish up all these things before Christmas, that we would truly have that joy and goodwill and peace that's spoken of that only comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. So bless everyone here as we go our way. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all of God's people said, amen, amen.